Hello and welcome to What's the BPM? This is a podcast dedicated to the history of Australian dance music. We will be chatting to the DJs, promoters and club owners who have been instrumental in growing this scene. From warehouse events to the major festivals we have today. So strap yourself in, subscribe to the channel and there'll be more episodes dropping in the near future. Episode two. Not a DJ this week. But an MC, I'm sure you'd have all heard of him before. You would have seen his name plastered all over Flyers, all over Brisbane, all over Queensland. A really good MC. Uh, it's a pleasure to sit down and have a chat with him. He's got some great stories to tell, some stories about Public Enemy, Flavor Flav, hanging with his mates BJ and DJ Ninja. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty cool chat, this one. He's a pretty humble guy, but his, his resume is just, Unreal from every major festival in Brisbane, every rave in Brisbane, all over Queensland. If there was a huge event, his name is on the flyer. Really good chat. Enjoy this one, team. MC Split Boy. Okay, episode two. We've got a bit of a change up now. It's not a DJ today, or well, he does a bit of DJing, but he's mostly well known for his. MCing, welcome to the show, MC Split Boy. Hi, thanks for having us. Thanks for um, sitting down and having a chat with me. We're actually on the Gold Coast at the moment, as we normally do. How do you get the name Split Boy? Okay, um, uh, in the old days, we had a, a shop in Surface called Return To, and um, we used to get all our clothing and stuff like that from there to go to the tunnel. They used to have this sign, this metal sign with this little little boy running in the window and uh, it was this little guy here I can show you um, this little guy here and when I used to be dancing on the dance floor in the tunnel when all the smoke and everything used to everything used to happen at once you know I used to like visualize this little this little guy this little split guy running along through the different progression of the sound and there'd be these big sound walls coming down and as it progressed through or go up in octave the, the wall would lift and away I'd go again I'd be on my way you know and i used to try telling people this stupid story you know the little split boy guy you know the little split boy guy used to say and uh, so then it just sort of stuck it's it's a logo that i've seen around quite a bit is that from a clothing brand or split clothing yeah split clothing. a long oh, time ago yeah. and it's just stuck with me for <laughs> forever it's cool how people have got different names and there's like there's a story or a meaning behind it like with Barking Boy, he was barking at people yeah. at the raves. Yeah. And um, yours is the, uh, the little split man. That's cool. So winding right back, how did you get interested in music, emceeing? Was it something you got into as a child or? I was scared shitless really of public speaking to start with. When I was at school, grade eight, grade nine, I was break dancing and I was training around the clock to get really good at break dancing and um so then we end up getting a little team together called beat sonic breakers you know and we got the bomber jackets made and the embroidery done and our mums used to drive us to the blue light disco and we used to bring out the challenge you know we challenge people and, and uh my particular thing was uh backspinning quite a few backspins at a, at a time so we used to practice on little vinyl sheets cardboard and we wax it up or whatever and, and uh it gets to the point where on the weekends your friends aren't around i'd take my cardboard and i'd go down to the local shop and put it down and I'd just start dancing in front of a shop and try to get money to get a drink. Busking. Busking, dancing. <laughs> and then we started doing shows at like uh, 
school fates and stuff like that. And we used to, we used to, um, uh, practice and train at, um, skaters paradise. Um, we'd all meet up there and we'd practice while people were skating and stuff there. And then from there, I thought, right, I will, I want to DJ this blue light disco. So hey, what's he got there? He's got one turntable and one blue light, black light, you know, and he's just up there by himself. No one's talking to him. You know, I thought, no, this will be all right. So I'll have a go at that. So I bought my old realistic, uh, Tandy, uh, turntable and the, the old realistic Tandy mixer. That was really hard to Tandy. Cross, haven't cross heard that fade, name for a while. Cross fade the mixer. You had to sort of put your weight behind it. <laughs> and, um, and away I went, I used to start doing a bit of that. And, um, from there, uh, breakdance movies, I used to love watching. And then I started getting into a bit of hip hop and run DMC public enemy. I just loved beastie boys. I loved NWA. I just loved to death. Yeah, me um, too. Oh, it's crazy. And, um, love that nineties era of hip hop and rap. Oh Yeah. Wild, eh? Yep, it was great. We used to like get in the cars and, and drive around with it blaring and we'd all singing, you know, singing the words. And it sort of went from there to all my friends were, were going out underage at that time and I was into cars. Sorry, is this on the Gold Coast? On the Gold yeah, Coast, yeah. Okay. So I, I was sort of into cars, having nice cars and racing cars and stuff. And I'd drop them off at the nightclubs and then I'd go racing or, or I'd go driving in my car and I'd pick them all up later. And they'd all go to the tunnel at the beginning and, that, and I was underage, so I wouldn't go. And then finally got into the tunnel and London's at, at the penthouse and those sort of things were great. Um, it was just like another world. sort of uh, time was that? Oh, Late 80s or early 90s? 87, probably 88. Wow. Maybe a bit later. Geez, um, it really has. The scene has been going for a long time. Like Barking Boy said that. You always think the scene starts when you kind of get into it. Yeah, no. But it's been going for a long time, eh? Yeah, it's gone a long time before that, you know. It's just such an underground scene that why haven't I been part of this before? We used to, like, line up in the afternoon in the daylight to get into the tunnel and people would be walking past us going, look at these freaks, you know, lining up to get in. And then you might not get in. <laughs> so popular. Yeah. It's different than these days. Like, you get on the dance floor and you honestly – you wouldn't get off the dance floor until those big, bright fluorescent lights come on. Now where am I? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, oh, it's time to leave, really. Oh, Now where are we going? So we'd all stand out the front. And one particular time, we had this pearl of party. I think Ken Jensen might have been playing in the tunnel. All the lights come on and people are holding onto poles and, and things just going, I'm not going. I'm not leaving. <laughs> if someone's, I'm not, I'm Velcroed yeah. to this pole. Anyway, so we all sort of left and they bounced us all, kicked us out. And we all sort of stood outside. As if it was raining, we all sort of huddled together. It wasn't raining, it was just normal. And um, it was about five o'clock in the morning. And we're all there sort of going, now what do we do? And then a whole heap of bats come over and shit on all of us in one go <laughs> and nailed everyone. And we all just looked at each other with all this bat shit all over us. Like it was real runny stuff. And we all just bolted in every direction. Freaking out. Surf. Freaking out. You know? I'd, I'd have jumped in the ocean. <laughs> we just couldn't believe it was real. Uh, so then we, they started doing recovery parties in Southport. So some bright idea person would say, yeah, well, let's roll the skate down there from surfers to Southport. We'll meet you there. How far is that? Oh, five o'clock in the morning after a big night, it's a hell of a long way. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's got to um, be like sort of five plus K. And oh, yeah. on a good day. And, um, yeah. So I'd just drive down there and we'd have to wait for them all to turn up. I think it was, I can't remember what it was called. It might have been called the maze or something rather like that. It was like a maze you had to climb in and you didn't know where you were and you didn't know how to get out, of course. It was next to um, 
Sims Metal in Southport in the Rolling Street. A couple of times there, someone's tripped over all the turntables and everything's just gone kaboom. We don't know how to get to him because there's no lights on now. We can yeah. only get through this maze and the hectic days. So my first, my first time I got on the mic, talking about public speaking, I, I got asked to do a, a speech at my sister's wedding. Just on the spot, Matthew's going to do a speech. And I got up and just ran away. That was it. I was done. No chance. I was in tears. No way. Yeah. So maybe in the back of my mind, I thought, oh, this is a bit of a fear. I want to get over that, you know. So I did a lot of singing along with NWA, singing along with Public Enemy, singing along with Run DMC, singing along with Beastie Boys, all that sort of stuff. And Malcolm McLaren, I used to do all that, Three Buffalo Girls, all that sort of stuff I used to love. And then uh, I met up with DJ Ninja and DJ BJ, Brad and Scotty. Brad had been mixing for since he was a baby, which is brilliant. Ninja wanted to mix, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, I think uh, Ninja said, I'll teach you how to fight, BJ, if you teach me how to mix. So I think that's how it went, somehow, <laughs> somehow like that. I'm guessing that's how Ninja got his name. That's right, yeah. His martial artist yeah. is like, yeah. yeah. So so the training started, okay? And then the argument started. They, they still yell at each other continuously. It was, it, was, it was good. We're all good mates. And then um, Ninja and Brad, they got this, I think it was called World Dance Club at Penthouse or something like that. And I said, I said, we've got a gig, you know. I said, I'll MC for you, you know. I'll have a go. Um, can I bring a keyboard? Yeah, do whatever you want, Splitter. So, you know, I get there and I didn't have much to say. So I plugged the mic lead into the keyboard, had an adapter and started trying to play along. I got no training at all. So that was that was interesting. And um, uh, so BJ be playing and Ninja be playing and another bloke, um, Matty uh, Eastwood, he would be MCing for BJ and I'd be MCing for Ninja. And we did a few little gigs here and there like that. And then... Uh, Sorry, and this is on the Gold Coast, on the Gold around Coast, local, yeah. local gigs. Just local gigs, just small things. What sort of music would they have been playing at that time? Because like, I think of BJ and I it immediately think of Hard, hard it House. It was hard. It was harder than what he was playing at Raves, yeah. Oh, really? It was yeah. Roughneck and all this sort of stuff, you know. Oh, proper banging. And then yeah. BJ landed a gig at, um, I think it was Cocktails and Dreams. And I think it might have been called 200 BPM or something like that, you know what I mean? And it was like, we sort of took over this club that was full of drunk people and we played 200 BPM and it just turned into a riot. <laughs> it just turned into people freaking out, drunk. Didn't know. It was just too much noise for them. Yeah. But we continued doing it, you know. Um, it, was quite, it was quite cool. From there, then we did, I think we went to a couple of hyperdrives, a couple of uh, vinyl grooves at Coco's and Shooters. Um, then I started meeting Pee Wee Ferris and... Nick Fish, Jumping Jack, those boys would come up, uh, hooked up with Mark Bryce, and, you know, he was just, you know, everyone just died to everyone. That, you know I mean? That's Mark B. Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've heard about him, but I... Yeah. Yeah. He's from Melbourne. He just, you know, he had the music continuously playing for all of us, all the time, you know, relentless. So he used to have people lining up to carry his record cases. It's funny. Oh, there's another record case carrier. There's another one. There's a new one, you know. Um, so then... It was like politics going on in a day. Well, the tunnel was open and then down the road a bit further was a couple of strip clubs and a club called The Front. And then it was like people want to go to The Front and, and go there, but you couldn't like leave Mark Bryce from the tunnel. So, you know, it was this big thing. Like, it's like you can't, you got to follow one person, one club. And then there was some dispute going on. So Mark, middle of a set, just grabbed his records and walked to The Front and took over The Front. And we all go to The Front. You know what I mean? It was back and forth for a little while there quite interesting and then i think uh, they did a couple of parties there and 
in the tunnel and it was Arctic and fur or something or other and blackout parties. And it was funny because Mark, be, Mark and Marty would be playing from the DJ panel. But then you walk past another DJ on another side of the room and think, Who's, what's going on here? And Ken Jensen's on the other side of the room trying to get a mix in in the same audio. It was just full on. It was really hectic. Uh, you know, it was unreal. It was really good. And then uh, I think Two Unlimited came there and they turned the whole club around, which everyone didn't know what to think then because we were normally dancing this way and now we've got to turn this way to dance through the whole dynamic of the club out when Two Unlimited played. And this is at the front? No, this was at the tunnel. We went back oh, to the, the tunnel back to the at this tunnel. stage. Yeah. Okay. yeah, we all realised that the front was too hot now and the roof was too low <laughs> and it was just not the same feeling. So... um you know, the parties started from there. Paul Alden would come up and do certain parties from there, from the tunnel. And then then we heard about this rave scene, kind of big rave scene, masses and adrenalines and this and that. And like a, a whole group of us would go up and, you know, I remember Ninja and BJ and all that. You'd go to get in the car and that to go to Brisbane. you get in the car and, and they got war paint on, like under their eyes, war paint, you know, like camouflage. And, and you think, you guys really honestly get it? Yeah, yeah, it's for the lights. So they don't spin us out and stuff. So... <laughs> It was like, okay, whatever, whatever floats your boat. What did they think the lights were going to do? Oh, it was just, I don't know. Just, it was just madness. Madness it was, yeah. So we, I did a few little gigs here and there, and I started rhyming in the car all the time, you know, like to all these different bits and bobs. And then Ninja landed a, a spot on Australian dance radio. And it used to be the old 4 G on the Gold Coast, where you could play your set. And he, yeah, come along, Splitter, and do your MCing, you know. So I did an interview us like this after the show. It was great. We were both hopeless at the time. You know, we had no idea. Um, but the persistence paid off. And we, from there, I think he met a few of the, the promoters from Brisbane, you know, um, Peter Brown and Michael White and all them. And next minute, well, next next minute, I'm walking into Digital Overdose with the Dream Team and Buzz Fuzz, Lady Giz, you know, Gizmo and Lady Dames and um, Dan O'Neill. And, and it's just full on. It's like scaffolding stuff going on in this big, in the Roxy, and it's on. Like, you know, Ninja goes, oh, we're going to be playing on Triple J tonight. I said, what? Triple J, you mean we've got to drive to Brisbane? He no, Dream Team are coming down in limos, and we're going to do it at the house. I said, what? I'm coming over. So they, they all come down in limos, and there was a limo just for the records. And they all turned up at Ninja's house, and away they went. Played a Triple J mix-up. So the Dream Team, that's the, were they Dutch? I think a bit of everything. That, that, was, so. that was like a hardcore oh, outfit, hard. wouldn't yeah. it? Yeah. So we did a set at Digital Overdose, big lasers, big mirror balls, scaffolding, lots of people, and it was hardcore. It was they they did a documentary on it, um, but that was that was awesome. That was that was a good party. So from there we did Thunderdome. Then it was the hard stuff. And to me, I don't like the real fast stuff because I'm trying to rhyme. Yeah. So I'm doing like hip hop sort of rhymes at you know 180 beats beats per minute tongue twisters going on and yeah you know, i mean it's just trying too, to get it too right. hard to do it oh so digital overdose what sort of time frame is that is that we're in the mid 90s would you say i'm thinking the roxy changed the arena sort of late 90s didn't it yeah so you were scared too scared to talk at your um sister's wedding doing yeah. a speech how did you go from being scared to do a speech at a wedding to emceeing to literally thousands of ravers like, at what point did you overcome the fear of public speaking? I can't really remember the actual time when it when it happened. I, I, um, I used to admire certain MCs at certain raves that I'd like. Um, MC Metro was awesome. He'd come up with these riddles and these rhymes. That you think, what relevance has that got to anything? But it was so clever. 
in the way he, how he did it. And it just flowed from his, from his mouth. And um, I've never written rhymes down to practice, to write, to, to rehearse or to, to it'll never, and it'll never work. Sometimes it might be a palm card and it might trigger something from me that I've remembered, but it's always about how the music makes me feel or the mix coming in, how that's making me feel or, or how the dancers, what we see from where we're looking at. I like to do sort of stories about the, the respect I have for the, for the technology that's pr- producing the music. You know, I like to thank the amps and I like to, you know, things like that. Um, you know, they're the dancer, they're the creation, you know, 30,000 watts of bass vibration, you know, and it's like I'm trying to tell them what's going on in the place. Yeah. You know, if I can cool. light a big fire, then we've got fire, you know, and we've got heat, then we've almost got to evacuate, so I can't do that, you know, but that's what I want to sort of do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. You know, I'm trying to – it's just – and it keeps them – I don't know, it keeps a bit of, um, keeps them in line a little bit, you know what I mean? Because those parties can get a bit hectic when there's a few thousand people in one room. Yeah. They're all stumbling over each other and whatever. Big um, time. Crazy. Like my memories of those, like I was, I was driving down here listening to a, a, um, a system six set live. And just my memories of those days was like just heaving dance floors. You could hear like you MC number three. Um, secret MC. Secret MC. Yeah. Um, I just can hear your voices MCing over the music, but I could never really see where you were. Like, yeah. it was yeah. re- every now and again you'd see your silhouette moving around on the stage. Yeah. It was just. I find mad. certain places. I I like to do it. Some well, a lot of the time, I'd like to do it. If the party was starting to fill up, I'd like to do it as they're walking in the door. I'd be in the crowd, and people could see us from outside, and they, they would come in. And that was the stage where we didn't want them to leave. No pass outs. The other events on it same yeah. night. So we, I would say, no pass outs, stay in here. And I'd, I'd try to in. keep the hype up. Yeah. Even if there's one person in there, I'd try to keep it as if there's thousands in there. And, and they used to love it. You know, I, well, I used to love it. I thought they used to love it. Certain parties I'd do better performances than others, I think. Uh, if I was late to a party, I, I always was cranky. I'd swear a lot and it'd be real cranky. People go, geez, you're cranky tonight. But it's like, well, how hard is it to get someone to drive there on time? You know, and I was. I just took it real serious and people say, just calm down, just calm down. We're going to get there. You know, it's a different story when you, when you turn up at a party and you, and you're going in at one o'clock to do a one o'clock set is much different than being there at eight thirty at night, helping them rig it in and setting it up when it's all like daylight in there and then waiting for the first person to come in and waiting for it all to start. And you know, you can still hear all the motors and the servos and everything going in the lights and nothing's going on, you know? Yeah. And yep. then, you know, it's like those sort of nights really drag on, you know, it's like, it doesn't get boring, but it's just, that's a different sort of night. You but know? you can get comfortable with the gear, the monitors, and because you've had plenty of time to get prepared. Yeah, but you sort of get over-prepared. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you know, sort of, and it sounds totally different when there's no one in there. You want people to take some of the bass. Like at full flight, when the Roxy was running, you could go down the street on that corner I remember the name of the street, just on the corner there where they used to have System 6 upstairs in that little iceberg yep. room out there. And those windows used to slap bass. They used to wobble that bad. you think they were popping out. Yeah. You know? You, you said <laughs> so just... It was just, it was just <laughs> amazing. I, I think the feeling of turning up to a party and you see a lineup right around the building or around the block is just the best feeling in the world. Even as a punter. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. You, you go, oh, there's going to be such yeah. a great atmosphere. And Well, I'd go to one of these things in the, in the beginning days, and I wasn't even booked. I wasn't even supposed to be there. I was, I'd turn up with a, with a group of people, that, uh, some of my paid photographers, 
this and that, sponsor people, and you know, I hired a car, and you know, they were all going to get out, and this is my big plan, you know, and uh, it might have all gone pear-shaped. Like they might not even let me in. <laughs> so, but the more hype I thought it would be, the more, yeah, I'll be on. So I started doing more preparation. I'd get there early. I'd plug in early. I'd try different ways of plugging in. I'd, you know, they couldn't find me most of the time. I was, I'd plug in and hide and then run around the club and, and no one knew who I was, where I was and what, what, what I was doing. But everyone thought there was some DJ up there scratching like a madman. And I was just, I was doing it on my own. Your vocal scratching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was just, and I do that mainly to, to test the signal. See how my signal is, how far my wireless that I've, Concocted and I've made it, made it that time, you know, um, how much distance I had, you know, in the old days, the wireless mics weren't as good as these days. It's funny you say that because I was listening to a live set from uh, one of the arena shows and you were emceeing and I thought, oh, the DJ is scratching a bit there. And then it, and then a couple of minutes later, the scratching again. And then I thought, hang on, that's, I think <laughs> you were doing it. You were actually doing it with the microphone. Yeah, it would have been. I, I, I listened to this thing to, for BJ, BJ used to concentrate so much in his mix. He was so super tight mixing. It was yeah. spot on to the second. You yeah. know what I mean? And uh, I try to get his attention for whatever reason. And I go, you want to hear BJ scratch? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then a lot of the time he would scratch at the same time. You know, you know what I mean? And we'd be able to cue it in. And working, if you can get, get a bit of a relationship with the DJ at the same time, well, it sort of builds a, a sort of a good, a, a better journey in, in, in the set, you know? Yeah. There's nothing like, um, mostly for people that are listening who are kind of a bit confused that the MCs are, are really big in the rave scene, aren't they? And, and drum and bass, the MCs are hugely popular in the UK. All the hardcore DJs have their own, their own MC. Yeah. yeah. It's, you don't really get it in like sort of nightclubs don't really. But if you did that style, style of MC and over here, you'd just get bashed. It was never, it, yeah, it wasn't as, po- like, MCs just weren't as popular, were they, over here? No, oh, we like, were round upon. With the uh, the guys in the UK, like Storm, Sharky, oh, Cyclone, Wizkid. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Ribs. They were all really popular, weren't they? But it was just, like, it was kind of frowned upon at that. Well, for me, I mean, I was going to the raves in the late 90s, early 2000s, and I really had a lot of respect for the MCs, like, and people just, I just don't think people got it. They didn't understand it. But a good MC and a good DJ really just complement each other, don't they? When it works, sometimes, I don't know, it's sort of you're either in the mix together or one's in the mix and one's babbling. You know what I mean? Nothing worse than the DJ's bringing his set to a club or to a rave that he's prepared. He knows every part of that set because he's mixed it relentlessly. Home, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, if I was to just babble in when there's a vocal coming on i would never want to speak again so i listen extra careful yep. i don't know the tracks they're going to play i've got no idea the names or who they're from most of the time but i can just feel it like the dancer you know what i mean i think if i'd gone the other way and babbled over lots more stuff i would have i would have been thrown out people would have just hated oh yeah you. Yep. and they'll tell you if <laughs> i've heard i've heard people up there and they what you, shut up you know <laughs> like to, someone you know some mc from sydney's come up and Okay, for out of respect, here you go, here's the mic, you know. And he has a role and the moment moment it stops the music, you hear someone say, Shut up, mate, you know. <laughs> it's like it's like you just give it back. See you later, buddy. They like a certain style up here, you know. 
Yeah. Well, it's not about you. It's about us that dances want. You know, it's not about the, the MC. It's about the music and us. And yeah, it's like a fine line between just right and what's a little bit too much. In that. Yeah, I think the music. I think the sound has got to have room for it. Got to have enough room in in the production of the sound to like when they produce sounds in that now. There's there's room for a vocal to go through. But in the really old days and the really hardcore music, there was not much room in there anywhere. It was just noise, you know? Yeah, so much going on. Oh, yeah. Mate, looking at your bio, there's just way too much to talk about. But like it says on here, you emceed with the Prodigy at the site. That was for Richie Rich. For Richie Rich, the DJ Richie Rich. Yeah. 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 Like the list of gigs you've done. It's just every major festival, every major rave that rolled through town you're on the flyer, you're on the mic, doing your thing. Have you got any real highlights that you want to talk about? I think uh, one of the adventures, I had uh, Flavor Flav on my shoulders, screaming out, yeah, boy, and dribbling on my head. That was... Public enemies, Flavor Flav. Yeah. Wow. Um, and yeah, I ended up, well, we ended up arguing with each other because he kept wanting me to get on my shoulders and I kept saying, stop dribbling on me. <laughs> <laughs> you freak, you know. That, that Is was, he a Big guy, or a... Oh, yeah, a little guy, but he was very uncoordinated. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, that was a bit of a moment. It's hard to pick pick a moment. I think the moments that you you would pick if you were trying to pick a moment that I enjoyed the most is when everything is sounding perfect and the night's perfect. Manage to think, righto, I'm enjoying this now. This is I'm enjoying it, you know. Um, and a lot of those times. I'd be sitting on these little stairs where Paul Bagley had his setup for all the amps and all that, just to the right of the stage in the arena. Yeah. There's two little stairs there. And he used to let me use his headphones. And I'd sit down, head down, headphones on. And those sets that I would do there were really um, inspiring for me. You know, I'd have, I'd be crying. I had tears flowing. Um, and, and I'd, I'd be on a roll because you can hear exactly how it's coming out. You know, there's no people shuffling in front of you. There's no signal loss, you know, and it's, and you're just doing quick snaps and, and, and you're working well with the DJ and that, and you might be in that rhyme or that set or whatever, for however long. And you think, wow, God, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a mess here. I'm crying away. And then you sort of flick your hair back and like move your headphones back and you look up and there's like. 50 people on the stairs above you just staring at you, pointing at you, crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> For an MC too, sometimes there's nowhere to stand. There's nowhere to be. You know, they used to do it in the cage. So where can you be in the cage? You can either be behind the DJ and stuck against the bars, under the DJ and you can't get out. You know, the leads get mess- messed up and stuff. So BJ and I thought it's time for them to go onto the stage. And they all said no. We are not going on the stage. We don't want to be on the stage. We want to stay up here. They said on the stage, the turntables will jump every time. BJ and I looked at each other and went, nah, we can sort that out. And they went, nah, we're not doing it, not doing it. And so first time they suspended them from the roof and you have to wait for them to come back in the swing. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that's <laughs> where they're hanging them. from the chains. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we put them on the stage and we're doing the setup. So they turn up with their record cases like last minute before they settle. Oh, I'm not playing out there. Or, oh, we'll find someone else. <laughs> and then they then they started getting into it. You know, um, the main room in the arena was just another world. It's, yeah, it was amazing when it was just yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll put some links to some of the live sets in the show notes of this. Some of the ones that you're emceeing on. And I mean, 
it's kind of hard if you never saw it, but the listening to them old live sets, you can just feel like you're there. Like oh. you can, that dirty banging. Yeah. They groovy. Goosebumps when I hear it, just, I feel the same way as what I was then. And you know, sometimes it's really cool when you're looking into the crowd and they know you're coming out with a rhyme and they're rhyming with you at the same, you know, because certain songs I'll do a certain rhyme for. Inspiring parts is when a new DJ from somewhere else comes. Uh, an example was Odyssey, DJ Odyssey from One System 6 from down south. When he played every track he played, I'd never heard before. So I was coming out with these new words. I was making my own language up. <laughs> and it was like awesome, you know? Um, yeah. It's like, wow. And sometimes you make your own words up and they don't make sense. You listen back to it, you think, what was that? You know, <laughs> what did I say? <laughs> Fair to say the crowd was probably on the save, same um, same wavelength anyway. It wouldn't oh, yeah. have mattered. Yeah. yeah, they knew what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So international DJs, what's who would be like an international DJ that you've played with that you really enjoyed emceeing over? Uh, Baby Doc and SJ, Tin Rib, Captain Tin Rib. Oh, there's, there's a lot of them. There's, you know, there's some that were great people and great artists and then there was some that were great artists and not very nice people but um scott brown just gentleman you know i mean it was an honor like i knew i had to be on my game i'll throw you out that way you know he he sets are hard and fast and you've got to be clear and and, you know um but um i love the old ultrasonic you know i mean it's like prepping the mic for him to go on uh, for Malaka to go on, you know, it's like I did the one one two just like he did, and he's looked over, he's gone, you've been practicing, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I've got the same mic and everything, bro. We <laughs> are, <laughs> we actually um, promoted a gig with Malaka and um, David Forbes, Forbes yeah, Forbes, yeah, so. and um, it was so funny because Malaka, I was talking to him before the show, and he's got like the thickest Scottish oh, accent, yeah. Yeah. and as soon as he jumped on the mic, he's got like. An American accent. It's yep. it's so bizarre, but it just works. Yep. He's a character. Yeah. And at David Forbes, he he can produce that boat. Yeah. He's got some amazing tunes that he's made. Some real old anthems too that his keyboards were those in Sonic S tens, whatever they're called, ASR tens, and he was loading in data like, you know, floppy disks on the fly for, you know, annihilating rhythm and check your head and that in their live sets. It was like, yeah, these guys are really working. Wow. Public Academy, they did a funny sort of thing when they went to the adventure. They started playing these electric guitar things, keyboard things, and, uh, you know, they were okay sort of thing, the, the, the set. Um, was, that but, a, was that at the RNA? Yeah. Massive. That was huge, but that gig. System that? 6 brought a lot of brilliant people over that were just awesome, like Billy Bunter, you know, um, they bring Odyssey out and Renegade. You know, those sort of parties were, were, were really good because I think Australia's got a lot of good talent. Wherever you go in the world, they always say Brisbane has got the best dancing, the hardest, you know, yeah. no matter what. The big name DJs over there want to get into Brisbane. They want to be booked. And so they have this little thing going, oh, you know, I was booked for Brisbane, you know. Yeah, you'd want to be on the Brisbane show. If you were doing a big Australian tour, yep. especially back in those, that, those days when the hard dance stuff was so popular. Like, you'd, yeah, you'd, you'd love to be playing in Brisbane to a, to, to somewhere like the arena where it's going to be just a couple of thousand people going mental yeah. and, and did go mental. Oh, it's yeah. just, yeah. If you weren't, if you never went there, it'd be sort of hard. It's hard to sort of explain, explain it. it because there's not that much footage of it online, but it was just crazy. Like I, I was um, telling Barking Boy, like one of the adventures I went to at the arena, 
I spent most of the night just trying to get between rooms. It was so, oh, yeah. so many people there. Like I, I went outside and I couldn't get back in. It took me like an hour and a half queuing to get back inside. It was just. Well, one of them, they had a, they had the street blocked off and they were going to have rides and stalls and all this business down the street. Anyway, um, so their theory was I oh, bring them all through the front door and let them out the back door and then I'll go and do all the rides and stuff and then bring more, a couple of thousand more people in. And then by that stage, it'll all just go chaos and it'll be all bedlam and no one will find anyone. It'll be, no one will find me just as a promoter. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just making money here. It's all good, you know. Um, and it all went pear-shaped because the council come and shut the street down. They were going in the club, filtering around to the back door, out the club, and then lining up for another hour and a half to get back in the club. And that, that particular party, I, I had this bright idea I'd do an ice carving at it. And so I drove up from the Gold Coast with 300 kilos of ice in a mate's car. Sorry, just for the listeners, should we explain that you're a chef and you know what you're doing with that sort of stuff? <laughs> okay, so I had this idea I'm going to do an ice carving thing. And um, mate goes, yeah, hey, just borrow my car. You'll be right. It's not going to melt, is it? I oh, know. It's going to have a few days. It'll melt. So I get there and uh, this was the party everyone was locked out the back. So I thought I'll go, I'll go and do an ice carving out in the street to entertain them because there's nothing going on down there. They're all sitting down waiting to get back in. So the only people that had power in that were all the hot dog stands and all this and that. And I've come out with nice carving and my chainsaw and everyone's sitting down waiting for me to do this thing. So someone's come up with this competition. What is he going to make? And by this stage, I'd forgotten what I was going to make. I was just going to make it up. as I wasn't going to make what they said I was going to make. I was going to change it. You know, so away I go with this chainsaw. hippity ha into it. And I blew out all the power. Oh, no. All the power in the street. So, <laughs> so there was no power. No one could see. <gasps> And everyone's holding their torches up, trying to give me light to do this sculpture. I don't know what I'm doing. Change my mind halfway through it. They're stealing all these power leads from other places, bringing it to us to get light, you know. Um, it was such a combined effort. It was great. And I ended up getting back on stage, him seeing I was barefoot, soaking wet, a few cuts on my hands and stuff from, from the ice because you get cuts. I, I set it up, actually, I set it up right in front of Barking Boys, decks and he's going no get out split it get out you know i said it's going to melt directly down goes, no you're getting too close like right in front of the crowd <laughs> <laughs> way no way i said it's there now stay there what was the what did you end up making with the ice i got a feeling it ended up being a turntable because <laughs> they were lining up to sit on it to spin them around <laughs> on the trolley um and one person wouldn't give it up just wouldn't get off it <laughs> So we had to wheel it into the club with them on the, on the ice carving itself. And people are trying to lick it as it goes past. It was just, just but, madness. It was just madness, but a bit of fun. I reckon they got six or 7,000 people through that door that night. Whether they stayed inside, I don't think so. Yeah, definitely was time for a bigger venue Yeah, after that one. And I think that is when they moved to the RNA showgrounds. I didn't enjoy I'm those right. as much because I didn't have monitors for me, for myself. The monitor the DJ had up there was so loud. And like I could say something like, okay, check one, two, and he goes, check one, two. You know, by the time it hits the back of the room, kind of out of back, time. You try to bit. get a, a rhyme going on, and it's, you know, it's it's very hard to, because once you get a bit of um, feedback, an incline that it's not right, I pull up, I'll stop to sort of work out why it's doing that. And it's the fact of how many people are in the room. There's a lot of variants. And the front of the house, they're driving hard, those speakers. But they're no match for the monitor that's up, up on the top deck. But when Public Enemy, Enemy played, they had their own monitors. And that's why I love doing that set because I can hear myself. So you get more comfortable with it. Yeah. 
So at those huge, um, those multi-room raves at the RNA, would you play in a few different rooms or just mainly the main room? Mainly the main room, unless there was an artist playing that I knew really well that hadn't played there before, or whatever. And he'd say, "Can you come along here or whatever?" Or if we we went for a wander and we were talking to them, you know, I mean, I'd pipe up the room a bit there. And, but it ended up getting to the point where I was sound engineering as well for Paul Bagley. That was long days. We'd have to get there and unload the trucks. I used to always get in trouble for being late, you know. <laughs> I'd turn up and, "Where are you, Splitty? I've told you, you know." I said, "Sorry, mate. What do you bring all these girls up for? You know, like." Just, we're loaded in. What are all the girls for? So we've got to get here somehow, you know. You got a long drive ahead of you too. Yeah, coming, coming from the Gold Coast. So like loading all those speakers in each different room, and you know I had a little scooter I'd cruise around on and stuff, and plugging all the leads in. And Paul said, "Okay, we'll get Nick Sandigan set up with his sound, you know, his sound check and tin room set up and this and that. Get them all happy, you know. What I mean, and we'll move on to the next room. And and tonight, do your set, DMC as you go." Run the desk, you know what I mean? I'll show you where we need to be. You know what I mean? Any problems, give us a hoi. There you go. Home. Or go some another room or, or whatever, you know. Different artists wants different things, you know what I mean? So you sort of accommodate that. And, and that, that was good, but it was a big day. A lot of responsibility. Yeah. I had security there there all the time. So no one would get near it. People used to always look out for us and, and, and for the audio gear. I mean, we could probably talk about the old days forever. And yeah. I mean, that is what this podcast is all about. We want to talk about the history of the of the scene in Brisbane especially but looking to the future I mean you, you've been doing loads of sort of old school reunion gigs we've just uh seen online that System 6 make is making a comeback I hope to see you at the System 6 on the mic yeah that'd be nice but um it might be just a rumor we'll just see us Facebook's Facebook yeah but, uh, I, I, I guess with uh, Brisbane all sort of unite together they'll they'll get something well uh, after going to candy flip it just seems like there's Everyone that used to go out has, you know, calmed down, had kids. Now their kids are sort of old enough to leave. Well, we do a, we do a party <laughs> now called Big Fish, Little Fish. Have you heard of that? Oh, I've heard of that, yeah, but okay. I've never been. So yep. they'll do them overseas and then Stuart from Binary Finery, you know Binary Finery? Yeah, yeah. Yep. He, he came over and moved to Sydney with uh, Nick Fish's brother, Sasha. And he, they got Binary Finery going on and they do these, tra- all the trans parties. They were doing these Big Fish, Little Fish parties. So it was kids under 12 years old with their prams and they'd bring in the prams and we'd do parachutes and a whole lot. We'd have 900 kids in the Met from one o'clock, or from 10 o'clock to one o'clock in the afternoon and we'd get to drive home before dark. We had 900 kids rocking at low volume with all the effects of, of a rave. Yeah, wow. And they love it. Wow, when's the next one of them? I'll take my kids. March 28th, I think. It's coming up soon. In Brisbane. Oh, awesome. Yeah, cool. Oh man, I feel like we could have just keep chatting and keep chatting and keep chatting, but we've run out of time. I have run out of time. Thanks heaps for sitting down with me. I know it's hard. Everyone's super busy. Everyone's got loads of stuff that they got to do. But so I really appreciate you sitting down, man. And it's been great to chat to one of the living legends of the Brisbane rave scene. I think a big shout out to all the boys that do all the promotions or all the tireless work over the years. Shout out to Thief, BJ. Jason Kinnebar, all the people, Michael Watt, you yeah. know, Peter Brown, all the crew that put a lot of effort into a lot of work that went into getting the Brisbane scene where it was going, you know. Yeah. And, you know, they used to put flyers out on every car in Brisbane. They used to, you know, it was just nonstop. Thanks to you guys. Good on you. Yeah. Great spot to end it there. Awesome. We'll catch you all soon. Check out. Yeah, what a champion. 
real good guy and uh, looks like he's got plenty of gigs coming up in the near future. So if you see him on the flyer anywhere, check him out. We actually run out of time and we didn't get to go through his top five tunes, so I'm going to read through them now. Counting down from five to one. At five, we've got Baby Doc, Let It Rip. Number four is Captain Tin Rib, Get Down. Number three is Quench, Dreams. One of my personal favourites there. Number two is Binary Finery, 1998. And his number one tune of all time is Marmion Schoenberg. Some absolute stompers there. I'll put little snippets of them on the Instagram page. So make sure you check it out and give us a follow. Just search What's the BPM on Instagram and it should show up. I'll catch you all soon with episode three.